Hello, Blockheads, and welcome to a very special live recording of Writer's Block Podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Havlin. Tonight's episode brought to you by New York City Podfest. That's right. This one has an actual sponsor. Because it was a live show with a crowd and everything, gathering of the Blockalos, if you will, and I hope you will. We taped it on Saturday, January 11th at Fontana's Bar on the Lower East Side in beautiful New York, New York. The city's so nice, they rhymed it with spork. My guest is the one and only Wyatt Sinak. Wyatt wrote for King of the Hill before becoming writer and correspondent for, of course, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Wyatt and I discuss some of his early struggles along with his eventual successes, and he shares some fascinating insight on the writing process for animation. It's great stuff. All to the delight of our lovely crowd. I was so happy they came out. We'll be doing more live shows in New York. I'll keep you posted, and hopefully you can make it to one, or at least tell a friend. A quick production note, because it was a live recording, I had no control over the audio, which is a little spotty and definitely low in the beginning, particularly my voice, but it evens out pretty quickly, and hopefully that won't be a big problem. Wyatt, you can hear clearly pretty much the whole time, and that's what really matters here. Who are we kidding? Anyway, just crank it up if you have to, because it's a good one, and I think you're going to like it. This is episode 31, live from New York City Podfest, with my guest, Wyatt Sinak. I'm J.R. Havlin. You're part of the writer's blog now. Good choice. I want to tone it down. It really doesn't get a whole lot more exciting than that. My very special guest, the former writer for the fantastically funny King of the Hill, an Emmy Award. Did you get? Were you there for an Emmy? Did you get an Emmy for the uh, Daily Show? Did you that get King one of the those? Hill or for the Daily Show? Did you get one for King of the Hill? Uh, I didn't get one for King of the Hill. I got three for the Daily Show. Ooh, we, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say anything. But we started winning them again when I joined, and we stopped when I left. So did we did we stop when you left? We haven't. We yep. got one after. We've got at least one after that. Nope. We got one last year. Not this year, but last. Not it, for writing. No, the year before we did. Yeah, we did. Mm. For writing, yeah, for the year before. The three years I was. I there. have it in the back. I bring them with me everywhere I go. I can prove that's, this to I, you. That's funny because I brought all three of mine. Mm. That's how I get cabs. They hail the cabs for me. No, that's, that's the only way you can get a cab in this town. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. How many Emmys do I have to hold up? Yeah. So he is an Emmy Award, a, a thrice Emmy Award winning writer for the uh, and correspondent for the Daily Show with John Stewart, and current Brooklyn comedy scene badass. That's what I put right down there. Wyatt Snack, one more time for Wyatt, everybody, give it up. Um, and uh, uh, we'll get to uh, um, writing and the process and uh, all of that stuff very soon. That is the point of it, but sure. I do want to go through a little bit of background with Wyatt, find out uh, where you came from, what makes you tick. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you grew up in Texas. I did grow up in Texas. I was born here, but I grew up in Texas. I moved to Texas when I was maybe five years old. Okay, so that's something you're comfortable with people knowing. 
I mean, it depends on the person. Oh, okay. really? Yeah. Um, what, did you pursue comedy? When did you start pursuing comedy? When did you think? Like, did you see Yogi Bear when you were five, and you're like, "Man, I got to be that bear one day." You know, early on, I I think I I would watch the Cosby Show, and I thought what Bill Cosby did was really funny. But my mind saw it as, oh, I should become a doctor. <laughs> because you get to be funny as a doctor. And then at some point I, was, I realized, oh, okay, that's not, doctors are not funny. It's a very serious job. Uh, it's life and death all the time. And also it's gross. A and lot of gross stuff. There's a lot of gross you stuff. Have to, you have to look at gross things and touch them. Well, just to graduate, you have to spend time with a cadaver. And I wasn't into that. Unless I get to trap it myself, trap it and kill it. I don't want to study that cadaver. You don't want to spend time with anything dead that you haven't killed. Exactly. I've learned that. I'm kind of a Ted Nugent when it yeah. comes to, <laughs> so when it comes to medicine. You eat them as well. You use every part of the cadaver. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. They gave their life so we could understand how the heart works and <laughs> okay. why it's delicious. Yeah. You just said Wyatt right there. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I try to work that in. As I know. Much. All the time. I like the way you swung. Yeah. Yeah. I caught you. I caught you. You know I caught you. <laughs> but I, I think, I'm trying to think when exactly it became something I, was, I, I really thought I could do. That was probably in college. I, I thought you were gonna say like yesterday. It was yesterday or the day before. I thought I'm gonna I'm getting the fucking hang of this thing right now. It was like an hour from now. <laughs> from now that I yeah, thought I'm gonna I'm gonna do this professionally. Yeah, I because when I was when I was young, I definitely thought, oh, I like the idea of being funny, and I like I like being funny. But I remember I couldn't make anyone laugh. Like I would try to tell my mother jokes. You were and, trying. Yeah, and like I, I would try to tell my mother jokes, and she would just kind of look at me like I was an idiot. And uh, she also couldn't hear, so that's part of the <laughs> that was part of the problem there. Uh, but I tried. Um, but it wasn't until I remember at some point at like twelve, making a, a making a friend laugh, and that feeling being like, oh fuck, I want to. Okay, yeah. But then once I got to college, that was when I realized oh, maybe there's a way to do this. And it was because I got an internship at Saturday Night Live. Oh, you did come out of there. You went to UNC. I went to the University of North Carolina. And while I was there, I guess the only reason I went to college was to get out of the house. It was really just, I had no major. I was just kind of, I want the fuck out of this house. From Texas? Or were you somewhere else? From Texas. Okay. It was really just, I was really apathetic when it came to running away and seriously like i for years was like i'm gonna run away from home and then it was oh okay college is a logical way to do that because i didn't at that point i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do to make money living on the street and so i went to college with let's no pursue this living on the street deep thing that you're getting into right now well initially when i was really young i was gonna run away and join the renaissance festival really <laughs> I have, a, I have a friend who worked there for many, many years as a bootlicker. Really? Yeah, as a bootlicker. He would do a mud show. Oh, wow. They'd do a mud show where they would do lots of things with mud. And then at the end of it, and in order to get more dollars in the hat, um, his little trick was that he would, depending on how much you put in there, 
lick mud off of your boots. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was not what I was going to do. Shout out to Pete Strumsky, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I figured I, I figured I would run away. A friend took me to a Renaissance festival. I immediately thought, this is where I'm going to run away to. Yeah, that makes sense. And, wow, that's, yeah. And I figured I would get a job as an archer's apprentice. Okay, go on. Well, you got you to gotta get your foot in the door. Yeah, I'd, I'd be an archer's apprentice. I'd uh, spend all my money eating turkey legs because I figured yeah, I could subsist. Yeah, that's just how you eat. I could subsist on a diet of turkey legs, and uh, and then any other money I had, I would blow on the kissing booth, and uh-huh. that was the plan. I I thought it all out. I uh, yeah, they just the Renaissance Fair never came back to town uh, before college did. I read that uh, you some writers for King of the Hill actually came and gave a lecture at your college. Did that a thing? That That's happened? true. That's true. Yeah, that did you was... go to that? You went to that. I did. So, first off, I I think the the SNL internship was first. Oh, right. Uh, okay. Yeah. So when I was in college, I saw an interview with Rob Schneider on. Yeah, that's later. what hooked me. That's what hooked me. I knew he had something in common. That's what got me started in comedy. Well, no, the I... first time I saw Schneider in an interview, I was like, "This is." You know, I mean, I'd seen the Marx Brothers, I'd seen, you know, Woody Allen movies and stuff like that, but, man, yeah, that's really turned me around. (laughs) Well, no, you know what happened? Because I was in North Carolina, and I knew I wanted to do comedy, and I loved SNL, and I figured, oh, I'd love to go work on SNL. Yeah. And I saw him do this interview where somebody had asked him, oh, how'd you get uh, your job on SNL? And he said, oh, I sent in a tape. And I assumed it was that easy. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you always do it. Yeah, because also the interview was on later with Bob Costas. So I figured nobody's watching this at like, you know, at one in the morning that, oh, it's that easy. You just send in. So I sent them a letter with some sketches. And I said, hey, I'd like to write for your TV show. Just to what? Just to like Saturday Night Live? To Lorne. New York City? I think I sent them to Lorne. And why not? See, there's yeah. a little lesson. Lesson number one. We're gonna we're gonna list them off as we go along. Just send a letter to Lauren. Yeah, but I sent it to I sent it to Lauren Michaels, and then a few weeks later, I got a letter back that uh, that said, "Thank you for your interest. We cannot take unsolicited submissions. Here are your sketches back, uh, and we'll so, be doing them next weekend." Well. <laughs> To me, I read it and I was like, wait, you can't or you won't. <laughs> yeah, right. So I just sent them back again. And I was like, you're welcome to, I'm giving you permission to solicit these. <laughs> Did you add that note in there again to Lauren? Yeah. <laughs> Dear Lauren, use them. Go ahead, man. I know you love it. <laughs> and then I got the letter back again. And so I sent it another time. And I think my first letter was, I'd love to be a cast member and writer on your show. Mm, yeah. So let's make it Just happen, reaching baby. reaching for the stars. Yeah. Hey, do you have a host next weekend? <laughs> I'm Wyatt Sinek. Well, it eventually it devolved to a point where I think the last time I sent it, it was, hey, so I'd be interested in being a cast member or a writer. Anything. Or an intern. 
or a uh, uh, an apprentice to no, a it, falconer. Yeah, no, it was it was that where it was like I'd like to be a cast member, writer, or intern, mm. and so then somebody called me from the show, I think, because they were sick of getting these letters. And it was Lauren's assistant. Wow, you did like the Shawshank Redemption library method on them. <laughs> <laughs> Just wore them down yeah. over the years. And this really nice guy named Matt Enstis called me and he said, hey, if you, if you really want to do an internship, uh, don't, don't stop sending me letters. Because Lauren doesn't read them, I do. Uh, and so then he, he put me in touch with the person for internships. I then, I, I flew out, I got an internship, I dropped out of school, and I was there for half a season, and because I couldn't commute from North Carolina to yeah, New right. York, it's just, it's crazy, it's expensive. Mm -hmm. So I, so I spent, I spent a semester here living with my grandmother, doing an internship, and it was, it was great, I learned a ton, and uh, I got to... I got to meet a lot of amazing people, one of them being... Were you doing stand-up or anything at that point? I'd been doing some comedy stuff at college. Like, I'd been doing, like, improv with, like, comedy sports, and I think I'd started dipping my toe into doing stand-up. I remember I went to I went to this club, Charlie Goodnights. And I know that name for some it's, reason. It's a club in Raleigh, and I I remember they gave you, like, three minutes as your... If you, if you, Tight. Tight yeah. Three. And so I... I got all my material and I had all my jokes and I went and I did my three minutes and then, but I only did it. I, I sped through my act so quickly. I was done in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, all right, thanks. Goodbye. And the host was like, Whoa, bah, bah, and like had to run on stage and I, somehow fill that two minutes. Yeah. My God, it's going to be a nightmare. But I remember the headliner and I can't remember the headliner's name, but, he was uh, he was a Middle Eastern comedian, uh, and the only reason I I add that is because he was saying to me, "Hey man, good job! You you know that was really great." As he was strapping dynamite to himself. Oh my god! Because he <laughs> what had a great a, opening bit. He had a bit where he would open his shirt and he'd mm -hmm. be like, "Ha ha ha!" And uh, yeah, it's amazing to think that for twenty years we've been scared of the Middle East. Uh, that joke's still still as uh, as as true today as it was 20 yeah. years ago. Great joke. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, but I but I did my internship at SNL. I I got to. Were you trailing writers and, and anything like that? I mean, what kind of were you just buying a milk? I, I I was. I got to see. I was really fortunate because I had to drop out of school. I would spend my whole day there, so I'd show up. And oh right, right. That that's a that's a benefit. It's like hanging out at the at the comedy cellar. You don't yeah, spend your whole day there to get anything. Yeah, and so where most interns they would they would be there for two days out of the week. I was there six days a week, and I was there. Wait, you're like breaking into the building on a Sunday? <laughs> no, because they would go like Monday to Saturday. Okay, because you know the show's called Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I don't really so, know that. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I would imagine that they're going to be there that day. Yeah, no, there's they they they're usually. I there. did pick the day that they're not doing anything to break in, though. So <laughs> right, they yeah. got that right. But I would, I would, I would, I would be there. I would be there every like for every day, and I was always around, so I got to see a lot more than most interns, and I then also was able to sort of create relationships with people 
uh, and Colin Quinn was one of those people who really looked out for me, and I would write sketches in my off time. I would stay there after after internship. He was writing there at the time, or was he? Was he was he on. A, at all? He was on. He was a he was a featured cast member, yeah, I think, at right. that point, and so. I would stay late, and I because they had a computer, and so I. I <laughs> wow. My grandmother. I was living with my <clears throat> grandmother. She was like an old lady who, you know, she had a radio, and that was <laughs> that was it. And so I would stay there, and I'd I'd write sketches on the computer, and I'd watch I'd watch television. That was the only way I could wow. watch cable. Was staying late. I would just nice. like TV's amazing, and. And so I would, and and so I would write sketches, and Colin would read them, and he was actually really amazing because he'd read them and he'd give notes, and wow, yeah, he Colin is one of the nicest people. He's a very nice guy. And there, there was a guy who was a like a PA or something who was starting stand up, and he would actually give Colin a tape of a set, and then Colin would like give him all these notes, and like I would see him do this where he'd give him just like pages of notes, and he and. Colin was just that that person that there's not a there's not a sweeter guy I've ever met uh, than Colin Quinn. Sorry, I'm in earshot here, buddy. I know, I know. Uh, but no, but Colin. But so I did that internship. Uh, Colin liked my sketches. At the end of my internship, he was like, "You should show those to Mike Shoemaker." That's my Colin impression. Yeah, that's not it's good. Not great. You got to work on it's that. It's not. Bit. It's not a good one. Have you heard Schneider's Colin Quinn impression? It's really good. <laughs> the best. That guy. So good, John Go Schneider. Ahead. You mean John the guy Schneider. who played Bo Duke? Yes, he's so good. He's he, he's got a lot of characters. We're off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so right he stuff was, have people there. Yeah, so he it. was definitely kind of a yeah, mentor right? for me. Nice. Uh, then I went back to college. While I was in college, I guess my senior year, two writers from King of the Hill, John Altshuler and Dave Krinsky, who had gone to North Carolina, had come to give a talk. And early on, I about I, comedy writing about about comedy video? writing, okay. and I'd I'd figured out the student groups that bring in people usually take them out to a dinner, and I yeah right I'd learned how to finagle my way into that dinner. Yeah, yeah. how's that? I would just go and ask. <laughs> I would just I would write them seventy-seven letters. Yeah, no, I just went and I asked because I, I I would like all these people like Andy Richter came to my school and talked. And so I went to the campus group and I said, "Hey, is there any way I could join the dinner? Because a, you get a free meal. Yeah, and right. Yeah. B, you as someone who's interested in comedy, yeah, right. Get to pick Andy Richter's brain. And so a similar thing with the King with uh, with the King of the Hill guys with John and Dave. Uh, they came, and somebody had actually put me in touch with them before they came. And so I had sent them a, a short film I'd made and a script." Uh, like a spec script, and they liked both the of them. The two guys. Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. And they liked both of them, and Balls said, uh, "said Oh, yeah, hey, we'll sit down and talk to you." And so they came, they spoke. It was a really great uh, lecture they gave. And then we sat down, and they said, "Hey, when you move to LA, look us up." And when I moved to LA, I did, and they looked out for me. Just even when I first moved in, that sort of oh, hey, there's a bunch of North Carolina people who are going to this thing or that thing. And so they would look out. And then when there was a job opening at King of the Hill, because they'd read stuff, and they, while I was in L.A., were kind of helping mentor me sort of in write, uh, you know, in learning how to write and uh, to write for television. And so when there was an opening, I submitted, and they, they, uh, 
they back they me up. Wow, that's great. Yeah. <clears throat> um, do you, you feel like uh, your script might have gotten further because of their support? I mean, that's not oh fuck yeah, yeah, yeah fuck yeah, yeah. Fucking God damn it, yes. Yeah. Well, because so it, it really is. I mean, I I think especially especially in LA, the thing that I learned over time is that. It's as much the relationships you create with other people you work with. It, and I'd say it's that more than it's you have the best agent or the best manager in the world. Like, yeah, right. If you IMDB any writer, and chances are they have written on the same show with uh, somebody. Like the show they're on now, chances are two other writers also worked on another show with yeah, them. Right. Like the... Half the staff of Bob's Burgers are all people that I wrote with the King of the Hill. Mm-hmm. And like and not like that's and it's just those relationships And Scott Jacobson. And yeah, and Scott. Uh, that whole show is like a weird mishmash of people I used to work with uh as a writer and people I work with in comedy or like through but the Did you work show. with Lauren? Was he over there or was it No, Do- Lauren's Do-treve. the only You worked with Dotrieve though. Yeah, Dotrieve. Dotrieve was at King of the Hill with me. Garland Testa, Dan Feibel, Rich Rinaldi, um, shit. There's a bunch of people there that uh, that I overlapped with. Right. So, so then you, um, Wendy Molly. How long were you in LA before you got that job? I was in LA for maybe three or four years before I got the job. Oh, okay. So you're kind of like grinding it away, doing stand up and working clubs. And yeah, at that point I was just doing a lot of I was doing a lot of sketch and improv stuff and I kind of I kind of stopped doing stand up when I first got to LA and was just doing a lot of sketch and improv with like uh so but 4 years after you meet these guys they're still on board with you to help you get through that process. That's pretty awesome. Well, and what's also what's also sort of connected to that I had been in L.A. for maybe a, a year or two. And I did my SNL internship. I was 19 years old. And so then I graduated college. I moved to L.A. I'd been in L.A. for a year. I was working as a PA on The Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. Oh, and, were you really? Yeah. Did I know that? I don't know if I knew no. that. No. Oh, uh, interesting. This is fun. I was, I was a PA. And so they had two PAs. They had a first PA and a second PA. The first PA got benefits. The second PA didn't get shit. And the person, there was a woman who at the show told me, if the first PA ever leaves, we're not bumping you up. Said that to you? Yeah. And I probably should have sued her, but I didn't. Uh, what brought that about? I mean, why would you even I say that? I think the first like PA that? was thinking about leaving. Oh, so she just wanted to lay down the law ahead of yeah, time. Yeah, and she was like, Don't you, set your eyes on that number one PA spot yeah, there, buddy. Don't that set your eyes on gig. health benefits. Yeah. And, and so around the same time that happened, I was just, I hated the job and I, and they, and I just felt like, oh, this sucks. Cause I, I could see comedy writing happening and they were one of those shows that would take joke faxes that you could right. fax in jokes like SNL would do that. They used to do that. I think Letterman used to do that. A lot of talk shows did that where you could fax in jokes and Kilborn was one of those shows, but they wouldn't let me submit jokes staff members in general or that weren't on i think they uh, the writers if a writer liked you then they would say okay you can submit but they wow, didn't like let everyone do it wyatt getting shut out at kilborn well and so then one day i went on a run 
I get a phone call to Kilbourne that happened while I was gone. The first PA comes and he gives me this message. He's like, hey, you got a phone call from SNL. I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? And so I call them back and they, because of Colin, three years later, they were looking for writers and Colin had said, what about Wyatt? And they were, the, and Mike Shoemaker, uh, who was at SNL at the time, was like, oh, right, yeah, he was funny. And I read some wow. of his sketches. And so they, SNL then flew me to New York to really? interview for a writing job. Did not get the job, but then went back to this fucking shitty PA job where they wouldn't let me submit a joke. Oh, then you had to, you did, so you didn't get the SNL job and you had to go back to the Kilbourne job. Yeah, yeah that's but brutal. it was like, I've, I've I was, been in a similar situation. That is really a rough one to get over. But it was one of those weird things where it was like, like I was just in the top five or right whatever. There. For this, right there. For this job, which is a much better job than this show where I'm working at. And I sat down, I did the math where I was like, I'm making 500 bucks a week. And Sweet. I'm. Sweet. Yeah. And I was like putting mileage on my car because I do all these runs and I'm getting no benefits. And then I looked at it and I was like, if I was an assistant manager at Champ Sporting Goods, uh-huh. I could make the same money, if not more, right. work less hours and get benefits. Discounts. So just, discounts. A lot of discounts. Yeah. And so Sporting I walked. Sporting Goods, anything you want. Exactly. So badminton, I walked in. Badminton set. They don't do a lot of badminton. Horseshoes. That I could, yeah. Soccer shoes, the ones with the big thing that go over the laces, those are fun. You can sure. kick the ball better with those. Yeah. Anyway, go on. I uh, so after that, I think those two experiences were like, "Fuck this! I'm gonna yeah, right. fucking quit this job." And I I left as like, "You guys almost had a guy who almost didn't work for SNL. <laughs> See you later, assholes." <laughs> Next time you saw him, you're like, "Can I interest you in a soccer ball?" Yeah. No, I couldn't even get a job at Champs Sporting Goods. <laughs> you tried your hardest. They're like, listen, there's somebody leaving soon at your Champs interview. Yeah. But if they do, I want you to know that you can't even have his job. Yeah. Clearly, Champs Sporting Goods' loss was the comedy world's gain. Pardon the interruption, folks, but it's of particular importance to me on this one that I thank my producer, David Klatt, for all his help putting this live show together. He was amazing. Also, Jeremy Ween and, or is it wine? We'll find out later. All the good people at New York City PodFest. They did a great job. If you missed it this year, don't let that happen again next year. It was really a fun event with a lot of amazing shows. Also, big ups for the sporadically tireless assistance of Willie Orbison. Now let's get back to Writer's Block, taped live at Fontana's in New York City with my guest, Wyatt Sinek. Let's talk a little bit about the writing process at King of the Hill. Uh, um, it's an animated, you know, it's obviously a sitcom, but it's animated. It's, it's, a, it's a different kind of process. Is it, and something you weren't familiar with when you started there. No. Is it overwhelming? What is, what is it about it that uh, uh, you found most challenging? It wasn't, it wasn't too overwhelming when I first started because I, I believe in myself mm-hmm. and I believe in my God. Right. Um, Whoa, slow down. My god is Quetzalcoatl. Oh, good. Uh, oh, you winged flying snake. <laughs> I, I got really fortunate because, because King of the Hill was a show that took place in Texas. It was a show that was based in a neighborhood similar to one I grew up in. And Mike Judge 
used to live like when I was a kid. Mike lived in the same part of town or same nearby where I where I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And so some of the stuff he based in the show was based off of things that I could relate to. And you'd seen actual people behaving in this manner or doing this. Yeah. Out. Yeah. But specifically with the day I started, they were doing an animatic for an episode called New Cowboy on the Block. And it was an episode where a guy who played one year for the Dallas Cowboys moves onto Rainy Street and because he was a Dallas Cowboy, everyone just treats him like a god. And he is just a he is like a douchebag. And so that was the episode they were doing. And when I was a kid, there was a guy who played one year of special teams named Doug Donnelly who moved onto our street and was this and I remember it was that thing of like this guy, like everyone, like anytime Doug Donnelly came out of the house, it was like, Holy fuck, it's Doug Donnelly! And like people, like it was just like this fucking God just lived. A one year special teams guy. That's all, that's all we needed. He's really good at running out of bounds and then back in bounds. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. That's all we needed. And he was a guy, and so I. I remember when they were talking about some of the things they needed to do for the rewrite of this animatic, and this particular episode spoke directly to me, and I I threw out something that I was like, oh, yeah, no, that that happened on my street, and this and this and this happened. And Greg Daniels uh, was like, hey, why don't you come in on the animatic and uh, watch us give notes and say that thing you just said. Just explain real quick what you mean by animatic. Sure. So the process for an animated show, it's a much, it's a, it's a very long process. It takes about nine months to uh, take an episode from script to screen. And so... And I imagine the script changes considerably in that time. Right. And so you'll write your script, then you give it to the, to the animators. They will do what is essentially a sort of sketched out version of these are all the shots and some of the movement and it all looks just like pencil drawings and that's called an animatic and so you'll see the animatic and then you you can make suggestions like oh this particular camera angle you have uh doesn't really capture the moment can we push in tighter and maybe get a close-up on Bobby's face and get more emotion there. Well, so then that's like directing the animation. Yeah, and that's one of the cool things about writing an animation. So you'll do an animatic, then a few months later, you'll get a color version, and you All can right, keep it clean. You can do, you can do, you can do similar things. You don't have as many notes that you can give to a color version. You can just change some of the dialogue if you need to, and then eventually it'll all get picture locked, and then. It'll be on your television. But what's really cool about writing an animation is it is this weird marriage of you're getting to write and you're also getting to be a bit of a director because you would write your episode and then you would direct your voice actors for your episode. So you're there and you're working with the actors and you're kind of learning how to ask each of them, you know, get the performances you want out of each of them. And so you have that aspect then the animation uh, house, if you say in an episode that you, like, Hank is holding a spatula, they'll send you 
eight drawings of eight different spatulas, and you get to approve the spatula that you want. Wow. And so it's this very empowering thing. And so you, everything set design, if you create a set, my first episode was all about a hair salon. And so they would send me all these different sketches of different hair, different types of hair salons. And I'd say, oh, you know, I'd love the DJ booth here. And because it was a hair yeah. salon that had a DJ booth. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> and so you get to, you get to do all these things. And then when you see the animatic, you 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 get to see how everything breaks down, and you it really does sort of put this idea of shot selection and how you're telling the story, not just by typing it out, but then by seeing it and getting to control some level of it because you are working with the director in that way. And they're not really doing the mouth stuff so accurately at this point that you can still in this part of the process you can change up the dialogue. Sure. It's not too much. You don't want to change. In the an animatic, timing. you could do. You could do an animatic. It's because it's all still kind of sketched out versions. You could do. I would say you could probably change like thirty to forty percent of the episode. And does if, that usually happen? Depends on how it looks when it comes in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. Uh, you don't necessarily want to, but if you see it, and with all, because when you get it to the animatic stage. You've got all the voices in, and you have these pictures. And so when you see it, it might be like, oh, that doesn't play uh, as like we thought it would. We need to go back to the drawing board on that. Right. So you might make big, you could make big wholesale changes. You tried not to. When it went to a color screening, which was your kind of final screening, you could maybe make, like, I would say 5% of the episode you could change. Because it's just expensive at that point, because right. you're rushing everything. Right. So, and at that point, you're also working with Bill Treber, whoever's running the show. Yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah. So the whole writing process, that was pretty much it. It was this very long thing where you you wrote your episode, then while it was off being sketched out, and uh, the animation studio was working on it, you kind of forgot about it. And you'd start working on another episode or helping us, helping somebody else out in a writer in a room. Uh, we call them pods, where it would just be like four writers just pitching jokes or something like that. And then there'd be a day where they were like, "Hey, your animatic screenings. Uh, it's time for your animatic screening." And in the in between time, you would ever like every few weeks, you'd get a like a bunch of things faxed to you where it's like. You wanted Bobby to dress in a bumblebee costume. Here's eight bumblebee costumes to choose from. And you'd kind of say, I like this one. And then you'd fax it to them. And they would be like, oh, okay. Didn't you do the episode where I think there was a, li a line that I really liked that I heard that you had written about, like, Bobby, something about how he likes strawberries? or like, You know what I'm talking about in my house face? Or oh, sure. This was your line, right? There was... Uh, because yeah. when I look at you, I think this guy's got Bobby Hill's voice all just <laughs> down. It's got to be. Just, that's where Bobby Hill comes from. Well, I think it was actually a Hank line. It was a Hank line about him. Uh, yeah, it was a Hank line about Bobby having a fascination with Ann Getty's artwork. Yeah, he had it all over his room. And it, it, yeah. was, oh, it was during the house tour, and it was covering up mold, right? Yeah. Yeah, his, his and, Ann Getty's artwork. Yeah, and so it was something to the effect of like, Boys got all those pictures of babies dressed as strawberries <laughs> and something. And 
That's the other the other weird thing about working at that show is because you're in rooms pitching things, you wind up pitching in each character's voice. And yeah, so everyone like, the has best you can do. Yeah, so everyone has a shitty yeah. like everyone who works at that show has a shitty Hank, a shitty Boomhauer, a shitty Bobby. Let's hear a couple of them, man. Give me uh, Boom give me Boom That Hauer. was my well, shitty. That was my shitty. That's a shitty Hank. Hank. That's yeah. not so bad. It's a better that Hank was, than I could do. That was my that, that was a shitty Boomhauer. Uh what was Boom uh, uh, talking about Dango, uh, <laughs> that's enough. Yeah, that doesn't talk about Dango anymore. Talking about Dango, needle on him. Yeah. Do you write that down on the page? Is there like how does that happen for that character? For Boomhauer, it was always you always wanted to take something that the previous character had said, and you were just deconstructing. So it. he's like repeating it in a way, and he's repeating it, but he's deconstructing it in this way that like. If somebody had said something about cooking steaks, he might go, talking about T-Bones, man, you know, T-Bone Walker, blues, <laughs> jazz made me, or guitar. But it thing didn't really have thing to thing make any sense cry. at all. Yeah. <laughs> just wanted to be funny. Well, but it would, it would sort of make this weird sense where it was just like, oh, no, he said T-Bone steak. That got him to T-Bone Walker. That got him to oh, guitar. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. And then that got yeah, him yeah. to crying. Yeah, and, and you don't you don't need to know what happened in the middle of that. Yeah, it doesn't really and matter. And so it was just this very weird, like you don't know how any of it all connects. But that was the way that I had learned to do it was that it's just deconstructing something. I don't know how long after that it was that you ended up getting a job at the Daily Show. Um, the but that's where you go next, basically. Uh, you yeah, I you left, came on as a writer and correspondent. I did, I and that's and so you're and. Am I wrong about this? You wrote your own audition. I did. And that piece ended up being your first piece on the show. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, even though it was kind of unusual, it wasn't really necessarily, it was like a bit, seemed like a risky audition in a way. Did you feel that way? No, because I didn't want to do the audition. Because I'd auditioned for the show maybe three or four times. Oh, you had? Oh, yeah, really? Cause, yeah, because Comedy Central... In LA, they would always they would always have auditions where they they you go on people. tape. Yeah, and they'd find people they liked, and they they were like, "Oh yeah, we think you'd be great on the show." Mm -hmm. And so I'd done that three or four times, and at that point, just assumed, "Oh, the Daily Show doesn't want me. Fuck them." And yeah, my right. manager, no, it's, a, it's aggressive, but you know, it's true. Look, I I didn't get this far without a few chips on my no, shoulder. No, no, no. Why? It's Hate is a great fuel. Mm -hmm. You can hate, resentment, rage. Like, oh, they say it leads to the dark side, but you'll have fun before you get there. <laughs> uh, you might get a few jobs on the way. <laughs> yeah, I, my manager had said, do this one because they want you to write something. And so that was the man. And they were out there to see it because it was Rory, and he was actually out there to see it. So you weren't just going on tape. You were doing no, it for yeah. somebody this time. Rory Albanese and Rich Corson were in L.A. to see people audition, but they had specifically said they wanted someone to write the audition. And that was a huge difference, because prior to that, you would get the audition and you would get a chat that you'd yeah. seen on the show. Right. So you'd go in, and the way they would do the auditions, and it's how casting generally works, especially for stuff like this, from one to two... They bring in all the black guys that are going to audition. Mm -hmm. So all the black guys go in and audition. Then from two to three, it's all Latino guys. 
then three to four, it's all the Asian guys. So if you come in, depending on what time, you're there and you see like five black guys just sort of milling about a lobby doing their best Colbert impression. <laughs> Standing sideways and yeah. raising one eyebrow. And then if you like, I would always, I'd always come kind of late. So I'd see a little bit of that. And then I'd get to see like all the Latino guys doing it. Doing who? Colbert. Oh, because you <laughs> had you had the same. Everyone had the same script, <laughs> right, and yeah, yeah. it's not like they crossed and it out and it. said correspondent. Yeah, it was right. like this is for Steven, and oh, so you went in because no one said make Wait, it your own. Wait, but among that, you get to do your own script. So, so they, that's a fresh thing for the people to see. It was a bit of an advantage, maybe. Well, so this time around, they said they wanted you to do one that was theirs, and they wanted you to write one of your own. Right. And so I went in, and I had to do one that. Uh, it was an Oliver chat, and they never even bothered to change some of the very English-specific things. Oh, see. So there was a moment in it where it's like, like you're talking about lifts and bubblers and shit like that. It's not even that. It's like there's a moment where it's like, John, look in your country, maybe you can get away with that. <laughs> like, and, but where I'm from, yeah, which is England, and so I. So did that one, killed it. Uh, yeah. And I mean that in that I ruined you it. You ruined and, it totally. Yeah. Like they, uh, I, they almost fired Oliver, <laughs> what I understand, after hearing that. And then I did one that I wrote myself. And I, and I credit my manager at the time, this guy Dave Rath. He was the one who really talked me into doing it. and he, he advised you on the script? Well, he didn't advise me on the script. I had said, I don't want to fucking do it. I don't know what, I, like, I don't give a shit about the news, and I don't have anything I want to talk about. He said, do that. That's exactly what he yeah. said. And that's what my audition was, was, and what my first piece, like, if you watch the first piece, it's all about how the, the Democratic primaries are boring. Right. And they're not as interesting as the TV show Lost. Right. And, that's, and that was my audition piece. And yeah. I, I went in. And, and it I, worked really well. The piece worked great. On uh, I watched it like this week. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, I watched it again. And, I watched uh, it every um, night before I go to sleep. And sometimes you watch people's. You, <laughs> it's the only thing that puts you to sleep, I yeah. imagine. Um, we're gonna. Uh, we got to wrap up pretty soon, so I want to oh, just okay. uh, um, make sure that uh, um, we get to a couple of questions that sure. uh, people ask. Yeah. Sorry, I was so verbose. It's what um, happens when no, you're you know, a writer. Yeah. I wish I was like this every time, where I had to like wrap up, so I didn't have to uh, um, cut out forty minutes of every podcast I do. Um, which of you two is more handsome? I think that's a serious question. Oh, all right. Between you I'm and gonna, I, I'm going to let you take that one. Yeah. Which of the? I feel like we have a different appeal. Than I, I, don't, I don't. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I really feel like like it depends on the lady, you know, or the fella. But I don't. I don't feel like like say we're on match. I don't think we're getting a lot of the same, you know, people. Possibly. You know, Possibly. so it's really, it's in the eye of the uh, douchebag that asked that question. Hey, that, they might have been a nice person. No, I didn't mean, what did I say? You call them a douchebag, oh, which shit. I think, I think that automatically just makes me the better looking one to them. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Everybody's a winner. So, yeah. Here's one from, probably from the guy who does my music. Who did this cool music? All right. And his name is Pete Ho. He's right back there, and it is fucking awesome. And we're going to play the whole song at the end of it. Yeah. He's great. He's great. And there's a link to all the stuff on the website, so go buy all of it.
let's see. Uh, what's the trick to taking serious subject matter? Oh, this is too long. To, to taking serious subject matter and making it funny. You have thirty-three seconds. Um, I think it depends on the serious subject. I, I think it's it's. I, I think some of it is looking, especially with the Daily Show, is you know looking at the coverage of it, how it's being covered. Looking yeah, right. at that's what we ended up doing a lot of. It's like you don't cover the story as much as you cover. The way that it's covered, yeah. Or you find, you know, I mean, that that that's a big out, yeah. For us. I mean, I think it's that, or I think it's just tapping into what that real emotion is for you. I think it's it's always about trying to make some kind of a connection, and I think even with serious things, yeah, it's it's all about sort of trying to create a connection. And what it, what is the thing really about? What does it make you feel like? In other words, you can't just take some tragic story and set it up as the facts of that story and then tell a punchline off of it, then, you know, you can get in trouble or whatever. Not even you might want to get in trouble, but you're doing something that uh, um, doesn't have any meaning beneath that. Sure. So you need to figure out what it is that really gets to you about that story and then address it in a way that, uh, um, that, that where you can make that clear. Yeah. That's what I think. I agree with that. All right, good. Let's say laugher. What does that say? Lawyer. Oh, let's say you're a lawyer, but also writer. And you have started writing, and you want to be a TV writer. <laughs> period. Very specific. Period. There's a period on there. Sure. Other than writing, comma, can you please you just a you? Pro, can you please provide? Oh, provide a step-by-step -step guide. <laughs> yeah, I think this was written by Jubin. <laughs> to how to become a person who. Looks. I'm gonna say the first thing: legible handwriting. Conceivably, could who could conceivably have a that says DKH, doesn't DKH it? DKH job, yeah. D. What is DKH? Don't say it because we're gonna know who you are and you're gonna be a fucking laughing stock. Um, Donna Karen Hour? Maybe is that a show? It could be the Donna Karen Hour. They want to write for the Donna Karen Hour. I was I was gonna um, go Disco Kitchen Hitler job as Disco Kit, which is the show I'm pitching that <laughs> I am pitching that. Welcome to Disco yeah. Kitchen Hitler. I am Hitler. Unrelated. We will now make stew as a TV writer. So I think we got enough entertainment out of that question. Not yeah. to answer it. And we got a great show, Disco Kitchen Hitler. Yeah, Disco Kitchen Hitler. Thank yeah. you, buddy. Thank yeah. you, lawyer guy, who's probably going to be a lawyer for a while. Anywho, <laughs> please don't sue me. Please don't sue me. Probably an awesome lawyer, and I'm fucking gone. I'm going to lose all my money. Um, Wyatt, thank you very much for taking the time to come down here. I know you are uh, uh, taping a comedy album coming up on the 22nd. Uh, uh, the show's out in Brooklyn. Uh, those are sold out, right? Uh, I hope so. Yeah, congratulations on being a sellout. And, well, no, um, no, no, no. Oh, wait then, a minute. Hold on. Oh, uh, also, uh, that's not, no, there's mm. a couple of other things. Uh, shouting oh, at the screen. Every first Thursday of the month, you do something called Shouting at the Screen out in Brooklyn, where you uh, play a black exploitation film and uh, shout at the screen, which sounds like a really <laughs> fun thing. Look that up and yeah. go to that. That sounds awesome, and I can't wait to get my butt down there and check it out. And also every Monday um, at, uh, uh, at uh, Littlefield. Littlefields in Brooklyn, a, uh, a great stand-up show that you put together called Night Train. If you haven't seen that, what the fuck is wrong with you? That is uh, about it. Thank you very much. Thank you all for being here, everybody. Yeah, I really you appreciate guys. you coming thank down. You. I hope you had a good time.
and uh, say good night, Wyatt. Good night, Wyatt. Yeah. Yo, yo, what's that smell? Tabuli? Truly? What the hell is that? Uh, yeah. Pete Miser. The Cold Spring All Stars.